All right. Well, tonight we're um, in a series. Uh, um, there is one other thing. By the way, our RVers are here. They're here to work with us. So, again, another plug. If you want to come paint, if you want to. <laughs> they're not here to build the church for us. They're here to work with us. So find a spot and find a time. Come and help, right? Can I get an amen from the RVers? <laughs> I'm telling you, they, they've already worked hard. And the Kleppinger's got a, a, a good day of it already today. Well, we've been on a, a series to start last week, and actually Nathan was scheduled to preach tonight, and we made a little uh, rearranging tonight, so that's why I'm up here tonight. But uh, we're going to continue with the second part of our seven deadly sins, talk about greed. Aren't you glad that we took offering first, right? <laughs> this is actually strategically for pastor, that'd be a good idea if you preach on greed, right, to take the offering at the last. But, you know, I cut you a break, so. All right, but last week I told you to come ready to be convicted, right? You know, um, and then I told you that be prideful because we're talking about pride, and I switched that up too. But, you know, I would rather talk about virtuous character. Uh, you know, I, I've reflected about how I've grown up, and, and I realized that for a lot of my life, even though I grew up a pastor's son, and most pastor's kids have more of a cynical view of people, I actually really give people the benefit of the doubt, face value, I meet them. It's not expectations, it's just, you know, I'm assuming we're all wanting to get along you know i'm assuming we're all wanting to you know same goal to know god at least in church you know know god know him better and co uh, come together on that and you know i would rather talk about the great characteristics of people than talk about the seven deadly sins and so i do plan to do a series in the near future on the fruits of the spirit and revisit that uh, so we can focus more on good virtue than on sins but i want to use this age-old list of deadly sins and they talk about greed and envy and pride and wrath and slothfulness, gluttony and lust. Slothfulness. Anybody seen Z Zootopia? They picked on sloths in that movie, didn't they? Did anybody, anybody that has kids probably saw that, but you know what, they used, what the sloth's job was? The DMV, right? You go in there and they're punching one key at a time. Just go visit our DMV. It's like now I go in after seeing that movie and I picture all those people working as sloths <laughs> and love them when I invite them to church, but I still think they're really slow at what they do. <laughs> you know, Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace, he says when he was a boss, he said if people didn't really want to excel and do good at a job, he felt it was his duty to love them enough to set them free and let them do something they're better at. I'm still waiting for the DMV to find the fast people, you know, at typing and doing paperwork. I did really get fortunate that day. The Lord's looking out for me. I, we had a, I had an appointment at the VA in Fayetteville at a certain time, and I was going to go by the VA to, it was the last day to assess our taxes for the church. It just slipped, and I was like, I got to go. I don't even want to mail it and take a chance. I want to get it stamped. And I went, and of course, the last day of the month, and the parking lot is just, I mean, I'm trying to get in there. And I, I had to take the church van for some reason, picking up some stuff or something up there. Oh, combining the trip with getting stuff for the light poles and all, and took the church van. And I was like, oh, and I got to park this thing. And then I pull in, and it was like one of those things, the, the, the water's parted, and <laughs> the car's parted, and there was a shade tree parking. It was ways to walk, but I'm like, I need exercise. I walked in, and then there's this line out the door, right? And But the people are standing on the side, and I see a few people going past. I'm like, well, I'm going to follow the people going past. Went in there, and the assessor's line was like two people, and everybody else was waiting for tags and stuff. I was in and out in like five minutes. I was like, thank you, Jesus. It is my day. Well... I, I am purposely putting gluttony and lust at the bottom because 
you know, I'm married, but we have some single people. I'll give the single people uh, a chance to get things right with the Lord before we get to lust. And then on gluttony, I'll let that second last because that's my problem. And so we'll get to that, right? All right. I'm, I'm teasing. It is at the end of the list. I didn't do that on purpose. So, all right. But this, this is not an exhaustive list, but most sins will fall into one of these categories listed here. A lot of sins. Uh, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree that um, sins uh, like start to mold together? Once you get involved with one, they start to collect others. Um, you know, if, if you're, you're prideful, then everybody's making you angry. Then all of a sudden, you, you know, you're feeling wrathful to everybody, and it just carries on and on. And, uh, and you know, gluttony can turn to greed where you're, hoarding food because you're afraid everybody else will eat your food and you go on and on. But here are a few realities of this whole list. Every sin on the list, and this is a little recap from last week, every sin on the list brings disorder and confusion and chaos in their lives. Amen? I mean, the truth is sin brings chaos. Every time there's a, there, there's a series down the road I do, it's called Great Church Fights. And I'm borrowing it from Pastor Jonathan Watson. He said, here's a warning. Don't do it as a one series. It's too heavy. You'd have everybody fighting, you know, it, it can be counterproductive. He's like, do one, do another little series, and then come back and do another part. But every time there's a fight in a church, it's generally pride or greed, right? Or something, it brings chaos. So we know that, but, you know, pride denies the limit of authority. There's, there's one thing that Jen and I realized early on in ministry, that especially a smaller church, you're going to attract people who know everything and are there to bless you with their knowledge. Some, I'm not saying all, but you'll get one or two once in a while that come with the idea, we're going to straighten that little church out and that pastor, right? Now, my parents will tell you, I've needed straighten out all the way through, and I'm probably still going to need it. However, I choose very carefully who my mentors are and who those people are that are allowed to straighten me out. I will take and receive anybody wants to say anything, but then I pray, and I know sometimes you just have to say, well, that's, that's through a different lens. You know, they're seeing me through a different lens. So, you, you learn to do that. But, but pride denies the limit of authority. Envy denies the limit of what is appropriately, appropriately mine. I don't, I don't want that person to get that um, raise because, or that advancement because that should be me. I put in more effort than them. Wrath denies the limit of appropriate response. You know, um, I've heard this said, and it wasn't from a Christian perspective, but um, you should always wait and try to say the second thing that comes to your mind, not the first. <laughs> and that goes good if you have a problem with wrath. You should probably always wait till the second thing and then compare which one's better, the first thing you wanted to say or the second thing. I'm at the age now, well, maybe this is an age thing, maybe this is a mental uh, health issue, but I'm at the age where sometimes I catch myself saying out loud the things I thought I was saying in my head. And then realize it came out loud. I've been working out there at the property some long hours, and all of a sudden I'm talking out loud. I'm like, oh, good grief. Who's out here? <laughs> Everything out inside was just out verbal. So if you want to get in on some secrets in my head, you could probably just hide around the side of the building. And, I, and then I see you. I'll put you to work. Just ask, just get, ask uh, uh, Wendy and Robert Trembley. They came out there to see if they could get a key to get in the building before a ladies' meeting. I said, oh, yeah, and you can go over and help me load lights. I had to load all the lights. And... So Robert ended up, uh, they helped me load a trailer. Slothfulness denies the limits of diligence and faithfulness. Slothfulness. Greed denies the limit of possession. Gluttony denies the limit of consumption, and lust denies the limit of relationship. But they ruin hope. That's the thing, they ruin hope. Despair is always the result of this list. 
You know, one thing I've learned about sin is unless you just have a seared conscience, you'll go and sin, but as long as the Holy Spirit, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work on you, you'll have those moments like, oh, did I really do that? Oh, man, did am I really? But then you see that person you did that to, and you're like, well, I just, I'm, I'm too prideful to say I'm sorry, and you just stick with it. But you know, there's been times when I'm weary, and I'm trying to preach, and the Holy Spirit's moving, and I get off my notes, which the Holy Spirit helped me prepare, and then I say something, and I go home, and I'm like, did I, how did I say that? Oh, no. How did I say that? <laughs> and Jen knows, like, did, how did that come across? You know, we have to be very careful because if we allow the enemy to work in our lives and bring any sin in our lives, um, it, it, it will bring despair. And our, our lives aren't meant to live under the dominion of these sins. We're not truly designed to live that way. But because of this fallen world, that's what begins to happen. When we let these sins have dominion over us, our eternal hope in God begins to fade. And we find despair ruling our lives. Clinical depression, many times, are because there's some area where sin has allowed to fester and fester and fester to the point that despair has got so great that it's become chronic. I, I remember going through when our house built, I started going through, well, clear back when I turned 40, I'm 44. Excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry about that. Um, I know that at age 40, Jen, um, I've used this example for Jen decided to surprise me with this awesome surprise birthday party, and we'd never know that this would be an issue because I always love crowds and people and travel, and I, I'm outgoing, you know, and all this. But she invites like 40 or, f we had 40 or 50 people in a 1,000-square-foot house with a big back porch, but it still is crowded. And I start having a panic attack, like full-blown. I didn't even know because I hadn't had one, but I couldn't breathe. I had to get out on the back. And next thing you know, I'm coming to church, and we used to have so many kids on Wednesday nights especially, where it was a sea of kids, and it's just noise, and they're moving, and all this stuff. And I would just feel my heart start racing, and I'd end up having to go outside. And I'm like, Lord, how am I going to be a pastor if that? Well, you know, I found that, that there's areas in my life that we don't always think of sin, but I was not giving myself enough mental rest. I'm not talking about just sitting in the lazy boy recliner, but giving myself time to not be thinking about what I have to do all the time. Not having some time where I unplug and just say, and you know, it hadn't happened for a long time, but once I started realizing I've got to have a time where nobody, I had to start telling Jen at some point, I was like, okay, it's 8 o'clock in the evening. We can't talk about church. We can't talk about anything. I'm going to watch something that has no value in my life at all on TV for a while, <laughs> and it's just going to put me on autopilot for a few minutes, and then once I regain that, then I'll think of something important that's good for me. But I... You know, I had to start doing these things where I was like on a time clock and I said, okay, nobody can. And it's so hard because we talk about church and everything church all the time. And Jen would say, hey, so-and-so. I was like, it's about church. She's like, oh, yeah, okay. And we, we had to go through that. Hey, can you think of a time in your life when you were walking so tight with God that when your prayer life was in order and you, you, your Bible reading was disciplined and when you witnessed and your faith uh, you witnessed and uh, your faith to others and maybe someone came to Christ or you, you uh, helped change lives and you attended church every time the church doors open. And do you, can you think of a time like that and were you happy? And most people when they're asked that have had that kind of moment in their lives where they were faithful in every area that you could think of for the Lord and they were truly going after the Lord and going after discipleship and, and leading others to the Lord and they were happy. And they'll remember those times. 
and always think of them as good times. But during this series, don't fight conviction. If the Holy Spirit convicts you of one of these sins, don't fight it. That's one of the, the, the things that stunt church growth is when the church body starts getting the point is we're waiting for someone else to get convicted or we're waiting for someone else to respond to the altar. We're waiting for someone else to, to finally have that breakthrough with the Lord. It's got to be, as Mark Batterson said in his book, Circle Maker, it's got to be that when we want revival or we want spiritual awakening, we have to draw a circle around ourselves and stay in that circle until God does something in our lives. We can't expect it to happen outside of ourselves. Or we may be waiting forever. God wants to do it with each one of us inside. Now, the topic for tonight, greed. Matthew 6, 24. We're going to reference several scriptures. We're not going to have just one that we're going to stay on. So I might move kind of quickly through there, but if you want to turn Matthew 6, 24, this is the NIV. I know I usually use the ESV, but I'll use several translations tonight, including NIV. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is true. That is true. One of the things that also stunts the body of believers as a whole, as a ministry, is folks that can't keep in balance about what is more important, the eternal or temporary. You know, there are plenty of business people who are serving God greatly, still excelling in their business, but they're faithful in their, their time of giving to, to the church. They're, they're tied, they're, off, they're faithful in all those things and in their personal relationship with Christ. But once it becomes where, hey, as long as I'm making it to church, and as long as I'm looking like everything's going to okay, I've got all these responsibilities of the job, and that's how I provide for my family. And once you start thinking down that road, that's how I provide for my family, and you're just going to have to understand that this comes first. Once your mind has gone there and, and your heart, you start purposing different things in your heart. You start purposing that, you know what, um, when push comes to shove, God is going to lose. God doesn't really lose, but in your heart, he loses. Because now it's about what I have to have to sustain me. What I have to do to take care of me and my family. Then it's all on me to do that. And, and once you do that, then, then it's gone the wrong, wrong way. It's one of the things that, you know, I, I can't say this, that this was on my own merit, but God helped me. It's like when we, well, I was talking to a few folks today that when we were in the red and I became pastor and it was like really bad financially and we finally had the first year we were in the black, it was like $600 and the advisor team at the time was like celebrating and saying, hey, and they, they tried to give me a raise. I said, I didn't do that. God did that for one. So God gets a raise. Number two, my raise is when we can bring on more people on staff. That's my raise. I don't need any raises because God will take care of me. But the temptation is, is that, you know, it, when things would get hard, you know, you start remembering that salary back at Walmart opposed to doing ministry or that. And, and the devil tempts you to say, you know, maybe you could do both. Because, you know, you really need to, you know, you need to get your wife a different car. And yes, I really do need to get my wife a different car. And that is very much spiritual. And God's in that. Because <laughs> it overheats a lot. and She's stuck a lot. But. But it could be where everything's fine, we just think we need better. And that's where greed can step in. It's not, there's not really any necessity. It's we start putting priorities to say, I, I deserve a little better. I work hard, I should. 
And, and we start thinking that way instead of saying, you know what? If God allows me to, that's great, and we'll be happy with a new car. But if not, and we've got to keep fixing this one, that's what God desires. We're going to keep doing that. But first, we're going to honor him and commit to him in all ways. And we're not just talking about finances, but we're going to commit to him first. Make him first, and then everything else will follow. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm going to read that again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Which is first, the godliness or the contentment? And that godliness. Verse 7, for we brought, we brought nothing into the world and we, can, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we had food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life. Ecclesiastes 5, 9 through 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 9 through 13. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. You hear what it's saying? As goods increase, so do those who consume them. You can make all the money you want. You can also spend all the money you never had. <laughs> Dave Ramsey will say that the average people, when you go into a neighborhood, and this is a while back, so things changed a little bit, $250,000 homes were kind of the, the higher end ones they said. In this area, you know, half a million, three-quarter million. But they, he said most of the people that live in that were actually living more paycheck to paycheck than some of the poor neighborhoods. So it's you can't drive around and look at those houses and look at that kind of status and say, well, those people got together or they, I wish I had their money. Well, sometimes they don't really have the money. They are, they are chasing greed and, and making decisions that put them in, in a bad place. Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit... Are they who the owner except to who are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to harm to the harm of its owner. You know, it it's a reminder to me as our family gathered and my Aunt Caroline was passing. You know, her two sons, you know, all of us have had times in our lives where our parents have had struggles with us and all, and each one of those boys, she had had struggles before, but in their older age, there they are taking care of her, doing all the, the nursing aid things. That, that uh, And it was just, it's wonderful to see two boys that would, at the grown men who would come together and care for their mother like that. But you know, 
Nobody was concerned about right then about bills or, you know, what's coming next financially. It was that we only have a little bit of time with our loved one, with our mother, and we're going to do everything we can to make things right for her. And, and many people will chase and these, the greed and they'll put other things important. And then in the end of life, at that very moment, they haven't stored up any investment into relationships, but it's been all about what they can accomplish money-wise or possession and that's the poorest they'll ever be in those moments. It's not about poor or rich, but greediness. Stinginess is the dark side of frugality. And the word miser is profoundly connected to the word misery. And the possession of things that, that the greedy miser hopes to make him happy instead of make Instead, make him miserable. And we all know the story we can, Ebenezer Scrooge, and we've seen that at Christmas time. But, but the truth is, is if the heart, it's not that having more things is, is evil. It's not that money is evil. It's the love of. And I'm going to quote Dave Ramsey a lot tonight because the subject is greed, but he talks about a brick. A brick is amoral. A brick is not good or bad. You can take a brick and build a church with beautiful stained glass windows or a hoodlum could take that brick and crash through one of those stained glass windows. It's not the brick that is evil. It's, it's the person behind it, right? And the same thing with money. Money is not evil. Money is amoral. So you can have a lot of money and love the Lord and have a great relationship with the Lord, or you can be very poor and love the Lord. And have. It's the attitude of the heart. Another example I've used a lot is of uh, Dave Connor, who um, his dad was in my dad's church, and he started Mountain Man Fruit and Nut Company, and at one point almost broke and gave his last little bit of money to the Lord, can't do anything with it, and then became multimillionaire. And that man a couple times would shake my hand when I was in Bible college, see him, and I'd take my hand back, there'd be a $100 bill in my hand. And he would give towards missions and, and uh, truly a heart focused on the things of God. For the greedy man, the desire for wealth consumes him or her, and he equates who he is with what he owns, and the possessions he owns makes him feel superior to others. It, it's that same feeling. You know, I, I'm going to admit it's really hard. I, I joked about Ken's truck, his new truck, versus my truck. You know, Ken always wants to ride in his truck, obviously, because my truck, if you look inside it right now, you almost can't ride in it. <laughs> but, you know, big spray-painted old truck doesn't smell good, doesn't look good, you know, but in a nice new truck. When I'm driving down the road, I feel different than everybody else. I do. Just so you know, I'm not loony and just think that I just, you know. It's awesome for me right now because it gets accomplished, but eventually I want to be in something else. But it doesn't consume me. I'm not thinking, you know, look, I can't do my role as a pastor because I'm in this truck. I can't do this. And I do think eventually I will not want to put anybody in that truck that I'm like, hey, you're new to the church? Come, come ride with me, you know. Here, let me just push some tools over. Oh, that's where those sunflower seeds went. <laughs> but it can turn wrong in the spirit. It can become more about just the image. God's provided that truck through ministry. Some of you know the story. There's a guy much taller than me, much bigger than me, that I met when I was in a Christian motorcycle club. We did a church service. Dennis back there was with me. And they had church service uh, um, there for their guys because their boss was a Christian and asked us to come do it. We did it. I met Brian. 
And Brian, if they, he was perfect for any movie with the scariest truck driver. I mean, big old stain from grease, you know, just years of working on mechanic and real big guy. And when Jen first met Brian, he was neighbors with someone who was coming to church, and I hadn't met him yet. And so we made a connection later. But Brian comes walking over as they're moving their stuff, and she hears this beer can open. And she hears, go, 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 go. Two seconds later, go, 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 go. Brian had a drinking problem. He could drink so much beer, he wouldn't even know it. You know, he wouldn't even, it wouldn't affect him hardly. And Brian started coming. He showed up at the office one day, and he said, there's, you know, just something touched my heart that day when you guys were there, and I'd like to come check out your church. And he came, and Brian gave his heart to the Lord, and he still struggled with that addiction. And I think, Frankie, you're not, you remember when he's there, because you remember some of the things he said on Wednesday nights that everybody's eyes were like raised, because he still had some language when he was talking about what the Lord did for him that wasn't necessarily church talk, <laughs> but it was good. I mean, he was like, you know, the Lord changed my heart. I am not such a this or that, you know, anymore. And everybody's like, Pastor, what do we do? Just grin and nod you know i mean he he was awesome so you know our family has struggled with some weight at the time i struggled with weight and so we're a little sensitive to it and protective of anybody that struggles with that but you know brian just as a matter of fact he walked in one night and we had this guy that was pretty uh, heavy set and he just happened to be sitting at the kids checking table checking kids in but we also had a bunch of donuts sitting there that it wasn't for him but brian walks in and goes somebody better move those before he eats all those and i was like and I had come down on heart, uh, Brian, you cannot say those kind of things. I mean, that's the kind of relationship we had. I, I'd see him at Harps, and uh, he'd have a whole, you know, cases of beer like this, and he'd, you know, he'd see me, and then he'd go like this <laughs> down the other aisle, and I'd have to holler, like, Brian, I saw you. I already know you buy it. It's like, and uh, anyway, so that truck was Brian's, and um, it used to be multicolor uh, primer, and his family, he drove that forever, and uh so anyway, when um, he unfortunately, his addiction took his life. He, he, he uh, was supposed to be at somebody's house who was going to counsel him as Christian counselors and talk to him. And he told them something and ended up going somewhere and, and drank some hard alcohol like he drank beer and ended up floating in a pool and a week later died and did his funeral and ministered to his family. But that's where that truck came from. And so when I joke about the truck, you know, when I drive that, it's a constant reminder of how you never know. God puts people in your path and and it's for a season and you've got just that moment to take care you know take care of them i remember a young man that started coming to our church that moved from california and i didn't know his whole story when he came but when i was in the christian motorcycle club he was on the run from an outlaw club that was out to kill him in california and he'd come here with his girlfriend and he'd give his heart to the lord but he still was needing to you know he, uh, there's things going on there that we we're trying to talk to him he was raised catholic this was a whole new experience for him you know, he didn't know if he could take communion in our church, you know, because the Catholic Church might find out, all this stuff. And um, anyway, we ministered to him, and, and uh, he insisted he had to go back. He had some troubles go back uh, to California to try to earn some money and, and hide out there and then come back because he wasn't finding something here. And I just, we almost begged him. I remember spending all day at the church here just begging him, don't go. And uh, they found him dead in a, in a hotel room. And I'm saying these things because you know, in my short time of ministering, there's been multiple people that we've lost. And in each one of those situations, I've had people with addiction who, who had a bunch of drug money that they needed to get rid of. They gave their heart to the Lord. It's like, what do I do this? I'm just going to give it to the church. And sometimes I say, no, you can't. Not because it's drug money, because I don't want to confuse the lines here. Right now, you can give to another ministry. Right now, I don't want you to ever think that we minister to you for that money. But we've had some weird situations. But in each time, 
it's like God has given, uh, opened my eyes to what's really important. And what's really important is not the things, like this building, but it's the people. It's always about the people he puts in your path. It's never about the things. And, and if I was back at Walmart corporate office right now in my old job, I'm not sure if I could, knowing the things I know now, that I could really survive in that environment and not lose a little bit of that. But I kind of wish sometimes I had another stab at it because even though I was focused on the people, I think I could have done so much more. It, it still was so tempting. It's like, look and see what next job I can get. You know, what's this? Pastor Jim, when he pastored, he heard me weekly say, oh man, if I could just get to this job, and if I could just get to this job, and if I can just get to this job, and every time I get a promotion, it was like it was not enough. I had to go a little further. And you know, the, the night before they flew him to the Mayo Clinic, before he passed, he called me in his room, and one of the things he said to me, I want you to know, CJ, promotion comes from the Lord. And I first said, I know, Pastor Jim. He goes, no, I want you to hear this. Promotion comes from the Lord. And now I realize, I wondered if the Lord had downloaded him what was going to happen after he's gone, because I realized he wasn't talking about Walmart. He wasn't talking about those times I talked about promotion. He's talking about one of these times you're going to make a choice between what really is promotion. The more money, the more this or that, or serving the Lord and doing what he's called you to do. And whether you're a lay person who is called to work at Walmart, but serve in the church, God has got a purpose for you to, to build his kingdom. And it's not about the things, but about the people. Those who long for silver will never have enough. Materialism is the demigod of the conspicuous consumption. Not only is it the desire to have, it's the desire to have more than others. If your mind immediately goes in the secret of your mind when you think about what you have and you see something, somebody get something and I've got to do that too, then there might be a problem with greed. Oh, I'm not greedy, I give and everything. But if you're focused on always trying to compete with others. If something in your spirit, when someone has something good, you're like, oh, we got to do that too. We joke about uh, maybe Napoleon Dynamite when they have the Tupperware set, if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, and, and they, they have a gift if you sell so much Tupperware, and it's like this big ship, and, and the wife is like, oh, we got to have that. So Jen and I, that's what we're always like, oh, we got to have that. But, but the, the truth is, is we don't really have to have anything. I mean, God helped us to build a house that's, that's better designed for ministry compared to our little thousand square feet home in Bell Vista. And we've had great groups of people there, and it's been awesome. So it's fulfilling the purpose God gave. But if I ever stop using it for God's purpose, I don't expect him to let me keep it. You know, he may, but in some way, somehow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose the blessings of God in my life when I get focused on everything I have is about me and not him. You have to really turn your mind to everything I have is his and he needs to use it for his purpose. So I need to always be in tune with what is God wanting me to use my stuff for, for his purpose. One of the things we're going to challenge families to do, and I don't know how soon, but in that new building, one of the things that we don't have is enough room in our youth. I know that's hard to hear when we haven't moved in yet, but our youth room, our dedicated youth room, it really won't take long to fill that room especially with what's going on with our youth now. It won't take long. And that high school across the street, it, just once we get clear of all this and can put more focus on, on getting out in the community, it won't take long. And so we're going to need to do something about Wednesday nights, and, and the idea is to possibly launch small groups where the adults go to each other's homes and drop off the teens and kids to have so they can have the sanctuary. 
and we use the rest of the building of that. So that's something that, you know, we're going to have to look at. But, but we're always, with everything God's given us, this building, it has to be always, how is he wanting to use it, and how can we be changed? How can we be ready for transition to, to fit along with that? There are churches who, who die, not necessarily just spiritually, but they die in numbers, and they, they don't ever reach people because they, they get too used to, well, this is how we've always used our building, this is how we've always used, done church, and so this is just how we're going to do it. But the opportunities to advance the kingdom and to do it in some interesting ways are rampant. I mentioned a little bit before about a conference I went to where there's a pastor uh, in Colorado. They bought an event center, and they turned one of the meeting places in this huge event center. They they spent money redoing it, and they met there and used the office spaces for the classrooms and did that. And the rest of it, they rented out for events, and that provided $30,000 a month. They hired a business manager. The pastor didn't even run the event center. And it still provided $30,000 a month. And he was able to get up before his congregation and say, not one penny you give today is going to go to the overhead of this church. It's all going to outreach in the community and worldwide missions. Every penny. <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, man, that would be a dream come true for a pastor to get up and say, look, when you give him the offering, we don't really have to have any of that to, to run this. We've And kind of find out that the tax laws allow that. A nonprofit can't own a for-profit. It just, there's ways to do it. And so my mind starts turning. It's like, you know, when we fill that property up, we need to start looking for an event center, you know. Another one did a hotel. They took a Best Western, rebranded it to their own type of hotel, and they used conference rooms and everything to meet in the church, and it was a hotel, and it made it nice because if they did a big convention or whatever, they just blocked off all the rooms for themselves. But again, hired a business manager. But what I'm saying is, is that with greed, Greed gets you focused on what the enemy would like you to use your stuff for. That's plain and simple. Greed is sin, and greed will take you and focus your stuff on what the enemy would use it for. Or it, it keeps you in the mindset, at least, if that's a little hard to handle, it keeps you in the mindset of that you're the one that decides what happens with your stuff. Jen and I talked about this. Sometimes in ministry we found that uh, people would say, hey, yeah, we're going we're gonna to come help but this is what you've got to do to make sure that we come help. You got to, you know, there's this idea that that we have all these conditions how we're going to help you. But God's just called me to be a servant. He's He's called me to just go serve. It's not up to me to figure out what I need to serve. It's up to me to just be willing to serve. And God equips God. God provides the way. He provides the tools. Uh, there's been times I've shown up not knowing what I'm going to do. You, you talk about not knowing what you do when God calls you to serve is going with Pastor Roger when he's a pastor here, almost in the middle of the night after one of our congregants had a, a, a car wreck, and we walk in just as they pronounce her dead and telling the parents, and she has a handicapped, I think he was a nine-year-old boy, and it's going to take us till two in the morning to get back, and they want me to go back and wake him up and tell him his mom passed away. Now, I could put all kinds of demands on God to prepare me, but nothing prepares you for that. And that's the thing we're signing up for when we say, God, use me. That means everything we have, all our resources, our emotion, everything we got, it's all poured into his plan and his purpose and his kingdom. Once we start putting uh, definers on things, I will do this if this, then God, I believe, will just put things on hold and say, I'm going to let you keep learning your lessons until you're really ready. And that's why it took me 20 years for full-time ministry because I kept putting stipulations. My dad could tell you about a conversation clear back. Mike C., remember when I had school loans, Mike C. was ready to write a check 
I think to clear my debt, I think $20,000 school loans. I can't remember the exact details, but it was a size amount. This is a guy that would go buy a new sound system in the church. And, and I, too prideful, said, you know what? I'm able body. I can work it off. I, I just couldn't accept that from him. Guess what? God let me work it off. <laughs> he let me work it off till I married. Well, actually, he didn't let me work it off. I married somebody who had just as much, a little more than I did in school loans, right? And so now I have a lot more. And we were actually, uh, you guys have heard the story so much, but it just to me, it's just to get the point across, we've, we've been there. We had just looked on a debt calculator how long to take off, pay our school loans at the rate we were paying it because we were both pretty broke. And we were going to be in our past retirement age. We were going to be in our 80s. And we crying. And then we found out we are having twins. And then we cried some more. <laughs> and then we got happy. <laughs> But, you know, I'm going to tell you, it's no, I'm not, I'm not giving you any false narrative here. The moment, we remember, the moment we finally said, I'm tired of trying to make all this work. I know I'm called. God, if you will make a way, whether school loans or anything, I'm just going to go, and I'm going to trust you to make a way. And I, I've told this story so many times, but for the ones that haven't heard it, we had a motorcycle wreck, and we thought that was really bad until we found out we had good uninsured motorist the guy was uninsured which was even better for us because there's no deductible and our insurance company took up our arms and gave us enough money that we cleared half of that school loan debt in one sweep boom and then every bonus i got at walmart boom and we just chunked and chunked and next thing you know we're debt free but our house a year and a half before we left walmart and that was before i knew i was going to be a pastor and you know when we got clear of that and they raised me gave me a 34 percent increase if you looked at the numbers, it'd blow you away. The exact amount that we had extra every month when we became pastors, we didn't have to change our budget or anything. We were stockpiling that money. It just it went away, but our grocery budget didn't change nothing. And that money we saved up in that time helped us build the house we're in. So you talk about God's timing. It's just like everything. You look about, you know, you like to cut in and you can put the paint on fast and, and we are needing to go. We are way past, we are way past when we should have finished. I mean, way past. And I'm not being discouraged. God will take care of it. But the bank is being really gracious. But we passed that year. We should have been done months ago. And every time, it's like when I was on the roof one time working and Danny Neighbors had a few hours and he was up there with me and he said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I hate to leave this with you. I got to go to work. I said, Brother, I understand. And he's getting up to go. And I look at this big white truck that looks like mine, only it's nicer. And coming in and it was uh, Forrest, who his dad is the mayor of uh, Decatur. And he goes to Bella Vista Assembly. And he had come sporadically out to help. And Forrest comes up there and gets up there on the roof. There's only a few guys that wanted to get up there, right? And Forrest comes. So I, I saw a Facebook post. I'd come out and help. So Forrest is there. Then Forrest is getting ready to have to go in the afternoon. And about the time he says, I'm going, then Johnny Arnold comes pulling up. And it was just like shifts God had worked out. And I've seen it time and time again. But, you know, part of me wanted to say, you know what? I can't take this anymore. Um, you know what, we're just going to have to ante up the money. We're just going to pay for it to get this done. When I made a commitment, we're going to do this. And I made the commitment, and I, and I told my wife, I said, I don't want my kids to see me make commitments and not keep them. When we make a commitment, we're going to fill it. And God's going to give us strength, and he's going to provide for us to do it. He's done it time and time again. And many times I'll have somebody say, Pastor, why don't we just pay to have it done? Well, because our original commitment was to build this thing for half, and that's what we're going to do because we made a commitment to the Lord, and he will provide. We're doing it. And yes, blood, sweat, and tears. And yes, long hours. And yes, tiring. But I'm not going to let my kids see me just say and not do. I'm going to do say to the Lord, and we're going to finish, and we're going to complete, and God's going to help us. 
And so when greed comes in, we start looking at things and saying, well, we just start making excuses down the line of, of why we need this or why we need that. Materialism, again, is the demigod of, of conspicuous consumption. It, it, it's, it's blaringly obvious when someone, what I mean by that, conspicuous consumption, is blaringly obvious when greed starts to take control because you see people getting very lavish in how they spend either resources or, or, or their time. So I'd like to deal with this uh, idea of greed in two ways quickly. Is I'd like to teach you on our proper relationship with money and also what wealth means to my inner self. Greed or the flaunting of wealth is so American and we, we often miss it entirely. We don't even realize we're doing it. it. We would have to live in a third world country for a little while to see how many times we flaunt, we flaunt wealth, but we do. It, it's so easy to do. A, the young couple, for example, who sits in their apartment, which they can hardly afford, on a couch that they're making payments on, with a car outside that they were flipped up upside down on debt the, and to value the moment they drove it off the car lot, and they're so cash-strapped that they can't live comfortably anymore, and they can't afford to have children, but they sit together with a catalog open between them, discussing how they could maybe sell the couch that they got on to get a better one, right? That is a, a largely American greed problem, is we, we don't see a problem with that, is we really want that couch, so if, as long as we can make it work somehow, but, but we don't even, we're eating ramen noodles every day, you know? We're, we're forcing ourselves into the situations that have to make these decisions because greed somewhere said, I cannot be content with this. I have to have more. And I deserve it. Dave Ramsey talks about when he got married and he said they, they didn't have much. They didn't have m much, but they had love and they had a few things, but they had a stereo that could rock an, an eight block radius, right? <laughs> and younger people, that's often what we would do, right, is... You don't have money, but you, you will have an awesome stereo. And this couple, their happiness is destroyed by the thought that someone else, somewhere else, is sitting on a trendier couch. Because they see it in the magazine, so somebody else. You see it on Facebook or Pinterest, right? So it, it's just normal. I see a young couple in the ad. They're sitting on that. We should have that. That will make us feel as cool as them. Driving a trendier car, wearing trendier pajamas. Just go down the list. But greed is more than just having things. It's having to have things. And, and I know we have a few young people in here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an equation here for you. There is probably not a prostitute out there who does prostitution for the reason most people think they do. It's greed. It says, I need to make money, and I can't do it. I don't believe I can do it any other way, and I'm willing to do something that will, that will that'll be irreversible as far as if I don't let God take over. To do that. And, and you could take that equation and look at many businessmen who are basically prostituting themselves saying, I will, I will work more than I should. I will do more. I will ignore my family. I will do all these things to accomplish getting the money that I think I need. Do you know greedy people may even be big givers? But they will not give what gives others pleasure. They will give what gives themselves pleasure. One thing I've learned in ministry, too, is not every time that people give, have they really given it. Sometimes their names are still attached to it. I gave the example before about a young minister that uh, was in southern Arkansas that told me 
we're going to a little cohort of ministers uh, down in Texas once a month for six months. And on the trip down, we were riding together. And he was going through this thing. He said, this, this lady that has played her keyboard, she donated her keyboard or her piano to the church years, years before. I mean, big to do. I'm donating this. But she played. Well, when he got there, her playing skills were not very good. They had somebody that was much better. And he eventually made a change that someone else was going to play the keyboard or play the piano. And all of a sudden, that, that piano or keyboard was not a gift anymore, but I'm taking it back. Even though her husband disagreed, but it was a big to-do. And he said, you know, we could go buy another one. We get a keyboard, which probably worked better. I think it was a piano. We get a keyboard. And, but he said, you know, I decided the right thing to do in that moment was to stand on the ground and say, no, you gave it. It's a Lord's. You're not taking it back. And we were like, whoa, well, how'd that pan out? Well, it was a big ordeal. But at the end, you know, finally, sheepishly, she came with her husband. And with her husband saying, you know, this is really what we should do, it got donated. And that time they signed a paper <laughs> saying it's donated. But that's what happens with greed. We've seen it. We've seen it when someone got upset and there was some furniture or whatever that we thought was donated. And uh, after a, a to-do, we come in and the next day is like, wait, where'd that go? Oh, that wasn't a gift. And that's what I mean by the enemy will start to put in your heart that, that it's yours. When we give to God, it's really still yours. Your name's still attached. We, we have to be very careful. In the Assemblies of God with um, ordained ministers, we have to give 75% of our tithe to the Arkansas district and a little bit to the national organization. And that's tithe helps fund the people that help us out, like Brother Moore, who has been a big support to me. He's our, our district superintendent. But that helps pay their salaries. And so uh, Jen and I, you know, there's times we're like, man, New Song really needs this money. I wish we could just. But I have to remember I I came into the Assemblies of God asking, can I minister under your 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 um, leadership? Will you be my accountability? I, I believe in how this organization runs. I want to be a part of this. And I signed and did all this. And all of a sudden, after a while, I start trying to think, maybe I have a better idea about how this is supposed to run. I've talked to some other ministers who are not in the Assemblies of God anymore. They're with another organization like it. But they did that, told me solely because they didn't agree with the whole tithing situation. But you look at the, the Assemblies of God and it is growing worldwide and it is a thriving. You know, you, you just, in many times with greed, we just start to try to make decisions that aren't ours to make. We start trying to tell God how he should do with our money, not what he wants us to do with it or our resources. And that's a danger. We begin to rationalize everything. Greed denies all reason. And rationalization is the method in which greed begins to fester and grow. As we begin to rationalize how the car is no good anyway, so that's why I need a new one. The repair bills are more than a payment would be on a new car, so it's greed. It's self-justification. Greed says, I deserve to have this luxury. Now, this sermon's making it really hard. I should have used a different example because we do need to do something about Jen's car. And I'm thinking, I'm just boxing myself in this whole way. Because you guys are going to see us trade to get a different car. And you're like, pastor doesn't even listen to his own sermon. The kids are like, no, really, we do. Because that car is black. It was a bad idea. All black. The air conditioner's not working. And yeah. But we as Americans do not need for the substance of true life. We have it. But we are neediest, the neediest acting people. You know, advertising is so powerful. If you've seen that billboard that went up 
that they're renting spaces on on 72 by the water towers. When you, if you turn off 72, and you know now with the Bell Vista bypass, there's going to be more and more traffic. They're building. And so that's going to be a funnel of traffic, hopefully, towards our church. And I saw that billboard, and I thought I saw it right after going up. I tried to call on it. I was like, we need a spot on that to tell people there's our church, right? And I called the guy and said, oh, man, he only had erected that. And within not even the day, the day that they erected it, by that evening, he had it rented for a year, all three spaces. Advertising, why? Because people always need more of something. That's why advertising dollars are so powerful. Is because we as a culture, we're always in need of something, we think. There's this whole, uh, whole group of people that are doing this minimalist thing, right? So we have a small house and we have that. But have you seen how it, it actually costs a little bit of money to get those little things going? Then you got the property on that. But we need to actually go get out of our one place to go smaller so that we're being minimalist. But we're going to have to spend some money to do that. Right, because we need we need to spend some money to actually do with less. But it's just the mindset, never content, never happy where we're at. So what God is challenging us to do is is to say, you are my provider. And when we say that, we have to take the full gravity of what that means. That means when you're my provider, that means everything, my time, my finances, everything. You are it. And so I go to you first. Does that mean when I get up and go to work, I have to go and tell my boss, wait a minute, I got to wait for God to tell me whether I need to do this job or not? No, God will lead you in this ebb and flow, but when you come to make decisions about what your family needs, think of it in terms of, do we have to have this, or is this something that we're, we think we need? Is God in control of this, or are we making decisions because we just think we have to have more? And that's where it gets hard. You have to really pray and ask God to show you, Lord, what do you really want us to have? What do you want us to do? Kids don't care if they're in dress-up clothes. You notice that? I've been to a few weddings, and they really don't care. And that's why it's dangerous to put a little kid in a tuxedo at a family wedding. Especially little boys, if there's a sandbox outside, right? And you don't have close watch. Children have not had the full effect of greed at work in their souls yet. Unless they've been uh, uh, abused by greed, greedy parents who've prematurely cloaks us into, into it, they're not uh, as, uh, as into greed as those of us who have a chance more at it. An example, a man makes 25000 a year and he likes playing basketball with his neighbors. Then when he gets to $50,000, he bought the sharp shoes and the best ball, right? At $75,000 a year, he poured his own concrete slab, invited the neighbor over to his court to show it off. And at $100,000, he quits basketball altogether because he better golf now that he makes that much money because nobody that makes that much money plays basketball, they golf, right? I admire wealthy people who don't have to show it off. I also don't look down on people who have nice things because that's okay, but it's all in the heart. Mark, uh, there's a, a gentleman that um, is familiar to, to Jonathan Watson. He, uh, he tells a story of, of a... a BMW being donated to a, a, mish, a missions and uh, it was kind of the nervous thing of like if I drive that around everybody's gonna think I'm one of these TV evangelists right that that that's spending all the donations but it was a donated vehicle and, and so we're always on the lookout because people have perceptions about wealth but I happen to know that from time to time there are people who come to this church I do not look at the giving to know who gives what I still don't do that 
when we had to get a loan for the building, I had to at least know uh, who top five givers were for that time. And that was uncomfortable, but I had to because I, the bank was expecting us to provide that. They, they want to know and how long they've been there. The point was they want to know, do you have people that are, have been there a long time and they are gonna, you know, financially going to keep giving and they're not going to all leave as soon as you start the building project? And so banks care about that. But I, I don't care to know and I don't usually look, but I do know that there have been times when I've seen our numbers thin as far as people here and our giving go up and not a lot of different people. So I know that there's been important times in the history of New Song where faithful people who who by any economist, and not putting a judgment here, wouldn't look at this church and say, oh yeah, you know, you guys are up-and-comers financially. I mean, we are a hard-working group of people, but we don't have multimillionaires I know of in our congregation. And God uses people, sometimes with meager means, to carry out the greatest missions across the world. Sacrificially giving to see God do mighty things. Greed causes us to hate our jobs and our lives and our relationships. And why is there so much infidelity in marriages of the super rich? Because they are searching for meaning and identity and pleasure where they aren't going to find it. Why is there so little grace among wealthy many times? Because the loss of, of one iota of possession is the loss of identity. And that's what happens with greed. We begin to become the things that we put before God. You hear me? And that's where the snowball rolls and starts to really gain ground is when you begin to really identify as the things that you put before God. And you'll find that the Christian who allows that to happen will no longer see the wealth in coming and being built up by body believers. Now, church is just something I make when I can fit it in. And relationships with other believers, well, you got to understand, I just don't work with any believers and work is important. So that's where, uh, you know, that's my mission field. Well, that's true. But without the being built up by the other believers, something's going to break. A fellow minister told me that as long as the bottom line is good, then I'll have little trouble as a senior pastor. But if the bottom line goes bad, watch out. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I've been told before, as someone said, you know, if, if I leave the church, this place is going to fold. And I've found time and time again, God has been faithful. He has, he, has, he has gone against the grain of what people think when it comes to giving. He has provided over and over again. And greed can kill our souls. Turn to Ephesians 4 as we get ready to close. Ephesians 4. I think some of our lust problems in America, some of the sex problems are related to, are not related to lust but to greed. The fear that someone may have had a fulfilling experience that I've not had. They can cause abuse to our spouses or go outside of marriage for conquest and it's not lust, it's greed in comparison to others. And I want to, I want to read this, Ephesians 4, 17-19. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the frutality of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. 
And then Ephesians 4, uh, 17. This in the King James Version. This is a different version. First one's NIV. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding, their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life God through the, uh, of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who is being past who being past feeling have given themselves over to lavishness to work all uncleanliness uncleanliness with greediness there's two manifestations of greed and it's waste and hoarding waste and hoarding waste satisfies my ego because it gives me the privilege of doing what I what I then want it's kind of that thing is if you're wealthy, how big of a mansion do you need? You know, do I need 10,000 square feet that I'll never see? <laughs> you know, that wing we never go down. Hoarding satisfies my ego by allowing me to count my coins in the vault like Ebenezer Scrooge, keeping track of every penny. And listen, we've not ever been wealthy, but there's been times where I, I did Dave Ramsey so overboard that it was like that. You know, he talks about having financial peace so you don't fight in your marriage. We, we did good. We had that little bit of bliss, and then all of a sudden I got too into it. My OCD kicked in to where we were fighting about the Dave Ramsey plan. I was about to call him in and say, your system's broken. We're fighting about you. <laughs> but one of the things is, when you stop using the tools of your wealth to better humanity, my neighbors, my community, my family, the church, others, and just counting up what I've obtained, wasting and hoarding deprives us of our ability to obey God in financial generosity. Like Dave Ramsey says, if you're holding on too tight like this, not only can, can you not give, but God can't put any more in. Sometimes God has to pry your hands open. And it's very uncomfortable when he has to do that. And he's not doing it to take and just take, but he's trying to teach you that if your hand is open, and whatever he decides to put in, you're happy. And whatever goes out, you're happy. You're joyful. That's what lets you sleep at night. That's what takes the focus off of you and puts it back on the kingdom. Lucifer convinced Adam and Eve that they didn't have enough. They had the whole garden save one tree. And they threw away Eden for the desire for more. Some of you that know about the little joke about what's going on with the, what's going on with the city and a little tree out there, I thought about quoting a little bit of Genesis to him. Say, you know, it was one tree that brought all this frustration on, and it could be one tree that keeps it going. Proverbs thirty verses fifteen through sixteen says, "The leech has two daughters. Give, give," they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land, which is never satisfied with water, and fire, which never says enough. The greedy heart destroys our ability to know godliness and contentment. What, what I hope from this, this uh, little mini-series, if you will, the, the Seven Deadly Sins, is that, that we, we understand that we are not immune to any of this. I don't care how long you've served Christ. I don't know. I don't care where you are. I remember Pastor Roger and Sharon, we were meeting with them to prepare for, they were mentoring us for this role during that year. 
And they said something about being very careful that we aren't, you know, that we don't um, let anybody get between us in our marriage. I said, you have to understand, if you knew how we met and how badly we both got burned and we were best friends, we're good. No chance of that. There's no one getting between me and Jen. And Pastor Roger said, be careful. You should never be that confident and that prideful that, that you are not susceptible to any attack of the enemy. And that's the point of us going through seven deadly sins. Even as, a, as mature Christians, it's good to look at these and say, you know what? I'm, I'm glad that the scripture is giving me clear focus on this because maybe a little bit of greed has crept in. Maybe some envy has crept in. And maybe I need the Holy Spirit to say, hey, let's do a little house cleaning and let's, let's get our focus back on the Lord. We are, we are well poised for the enemy to do this with us going into that facility. I drive by that building, and I don't know if I just have blissful eyes, you know, but I can't see one blemish or one, I can't see one problem with that place. Not one. I, I don't, I mean, there's just, I just look at it, I was like, God, thank you. You know, this is turning out, I mean, it would have been terrible if it turned out ugly, right? <laughs> after all this, really? Seriously? After all this hard work, wouldn't it have been awful? Y'all would have, y'all would have not liked me very much, would you? He lied to us, you <laughs> know. Not letting him pick out colors or do anything anymore. So I'm thankful. I'm really thankful. You know, but that's the Lord. And I'm, I'm having to be careful myself. Don't let me get prideful. I mentioned a couple of our viewers. I said, I have a great relationship with a Baptist pastor down the, church, down the street. And I really am, do have a valid concern that when our big sign goes up there, not that he would, but to give the impression that we're trying to compete here because we did overdo it. But it wasn't anything to do with them. It was, we wanted the big sign. But, you know, but you can't bring it up. I'm like, in all honesty, I'm like, how do you bring that up? Because then it's going to sound like I'm assuming, you're right, playing this game in my head. But, but I prayed over it. I was like, Lord, just help this relationship that we both get focused on winning souls and staying tight. Because they've been given to us and being so good and keep that relationship growing and flourishing and help us both draw closer to you, both congregations draw closer together, closer to you, so we can reach this whole community for Christ. And, and so it really takes effort. What I'm saying is I'm a pastor and not been one that all that long, you know, going on seven years, but I have to constantly refocus myself or I get out of whack. So if I do, that means we all do, right? So let's, let's pray before we close. Lord, I just ask tonight, Lord, as we're taking a short prayer time, and, and Lord, I'm trying to commit to us having more time of prayer on Wednesday and help us, help me with that, Lord. But tonight as we just close, I ask that you help refocus our hearts that as, Lord, we look through our lives and let the Holy Spirit convict us where it's needed, that we don't push back. Lord, if there's any envy, if there's any greed, then, Lord, I just pray that we are able to put on the chopping block and say, Lord, it's you first, and I'm ready to get rid of anything that would put any, even, a, even a hair's width separation between me and you. And Help us keep drawing closer to you and being filled with your Holy Spirit. But, Lord, we know we have to be emptied out first. So let's empty out the things, Lord. I just ask you to help us empty out the things that would separate us from you and be filled with your presence and with your spirit every moment, every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I know we went a little over, and I am trying to shorten up. I'm working on it so we can spend more prayer time Wednesdays. I love you. God bless you. And uh, Nathan will be up next Wednesday night for, for uh, preaching.